I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were going astray like sheep, 
But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it is my distinct honor today to step out of this virtual pulpit and invite in someone you know well. Since today is, is Mother's Day and since Alyssa, just as of yesterday, finished her first year of seminary at Wesley Theological um, Seminary in D.C. since she just finished, I thought it would be appropriate to invite her into this space today. And so you, you know her. I ask that you would give her all the love and support and listening ear this morning as she steps into the pulpit of the Kingstown Communion, this virtual pulpit, for the very first time. Would you welcome her? Good morning. Last week in confirmation, we taught our confirmands about the sacraments. Now, if you were raised in the Catholic Church and confirmed there, you would nod your head and expect me to list seven. If you were confirmed in certain Lutheran churches, you might maybe expect me to list three. And, and if you grew up in a non-denominational church, you might look at me like I'm crazy because you've never used the word sacrament before. But if you were raised in the Methodist church or really most mainline Protestant churches, you would know that we talked about two, baptism and communion. You see, as, as Protestants, we take our calling in verse 21 of 1 Peter pretty seriously, or at least seriously enough that we've whittled down the Orthodox seven sacraments into just the two that Jesus actually did. You see, Jesus was baptized and Jesus began this thing that we now call communion. But I'll get to why I'm talking about the sacraments at all in just a moment. In the second week of this sermon series, Michelle talked about the very real belief that we as Christians have in the resurrection. We believe, as the creed that we recite says, that Jesus suffered on the cross, that Jesus died, that Jesus descended into hell, and that on that third day, God raised Jesus from the dead. And we believe that all of this happened so that we might be freed from that cosmic power of evil that is caused by sin in the world. When we take the sacrament of communion, we remember that this is what God did for us through the person of Jesus Christ. God defeated sin by defeating death. But in the sacrament of baptism, we actually participate in Jesus's death. We don't just remember it. We believe that as the water runs down our faces, that we die, not just like Christ did, but exactly with Christ. And that exactly with Christ, we are raised from death to participate in new life that is God's new creation. Baptism isn't just following Christ's example. It is literally following in his exact footsteps. When we first answer our baptismal call at that baptismal font, we are taking our first footsteps in the footsteps of Jesus. And they are his exact footsteps so that we don't get confused about where his footsteps are leading us. So that we don't get lost on the way to salvation. After the water dries and the anointing oil has rubbed off, 
however, things get a lot more complicated. You see, our baptismal call doesn't end at our baptism. Interestingly, the Greek word for calling is also the same word used in the act of naming. When God calls us, God names us as God's own, and God is constantly calling us back to the baptismal font, not to be baptized again, but to remember that we are God's own new creation. In Latin, the verb to call is vocare, and it is from this word that we get vocation. Again, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, vocation might have a very specific meaning to you, often related to the priesthood. But if you've managed to avoid this definition, when you think of vocation, you might think about vocation in terms of your job, that thing you do to, to make money. And so if we think about employment as vocation, it can feel really odd to talk about our baptismal vocation. But if vocation is not just our job, but is in fact a calling from God, you can start to see where maybe our jobs for many of us aren't really our true vocation. Our baptismal vocation, our, our baptismal calling, is to share in Christ's sacrificial love and to share that love with others. The call to love is the fundamental vocation of every human being everywhere in the world. And God is constantly recalling us back to that baptismal font, asking us to remember our baptism because it is so easy to forget that love is above all else, especially in a world where love often falls behind all else. It is from this foundational baptismal vocation that we are supposed to order our lives, not just our religious lives, but our whole lives in the hope that we will live lives that conform us more and more to the image of Christ and get our footsteps closer and closer to Jesus's exact footsteps. Now, today is Mother's Day. It's the day when we traditionally celebrate all of the mothers and all of the people who have been like mothers to us. Motherhood, and parenting more generally, is a vocation. Marriage is a vocation. Singleness is a vocation. Co-parenting is a vocation. Family life any way you figure it, it's supposed to be an extension of our baptismal vocation. In the early church, family life was the locus of baptismal vocation. There were no church buildings and the liturgy and the rituals of religious life occurred in the home. Houses became places of worship where people could grow in union and love of God and each other. Right before today's scripture in First Peter, there is a hard passage about the relationship between the Christian believer and the Roman emperor and between slaves and their masters. Elsewhere in the epistles, we find passages that to our 21st century understanding of the world feel really hard and really difficult, and they have been misused and horribly abused by the church to justify misogyny, racism, slavery, and a whole host of other evils. When we look at these passages in the context of their time, however, 
we begin to understand that what the writers were expressing was simply how to live out their baptismal vocation in the midst of the time in which they were living. In the context of the first century, households in the Roman Empire ordered their lives based on power and status. If you invited guests into your home to eat, not only would the most honored guests sit closest to the host, they would also be served first and with the best food. Then the guests next in terms of status would be fed second and with lesser food. And so it would go on until finally the least important guests might be offered the opportunity to eat the scraps of those who had eaten before them. The epistle writers exhorted early Christians to live in a way that was fundamentally different from other households so that those on the outside of the family looking in could see the gospel played out in that family's interactions with each other, with those on the margins of society, and with those who had power in society. If that family's Every action stemmed from the baptismal call to share in Christ's sacrificial love and to share that love with others, then that house was going to act differently and it was going to be noticeable. Although we have moved most of our religious life with its liturgies and sacraments and traditions out of our homes, the call that brings us into life as a family is still a call from God that extends for our baptismal vocation. And because of this, the way that we inhabit our family space still matters. It matters because it is this life that we spend together that empowers us to live out our vocations, ones that call us to a life where we can fully realize God's gift to us, both readily seen and hidden until revealed. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we are told that we should follow in the footsteps of Christ. As you listen from home today, how are you living out Christ's example in your own family life? See, what we do on church on Sunday mornings is not separate from what we do at home on, on Sunday evening or Monday morning or in that long slog from Monday to Friday. In the early church, there were no differences between family life and religious life. And today we've created lines of demarcation only because we, we normally leave our homes to attend church on Sunday morning. So what we are doing now, right now in the midst of COVID-19, is closer to those days of the early church than almost anything else that we have ever done. But outside of this live stream, how is your family, how are you living out your baptismal vocation? How are you responding to the gifts that God has given you? God has recalled us to the baptismal font, not to be rebaptized, but to remember that we are made in the image of God and that the way in which we order our households and live out our lives together as family is supposed to be a symbol of God's love for the church, the body of Christ that is found in each of us and in which made up of each of us. As a household that symbolizes God, we are called to offer mercy to and receive mercy from each other. We are to love even when we don't very much like. 
We are to relinquish our power and submit to each other, to place each other's needs before our own. We are to honor the image of God that we see in each other. We are to be slow in the expression of our anger. We are to be patient with each other. We are not supposed to record each other's wrongs. And we are supposed to offer this sacrificial, all-encompassing love, not just to those to whom we are related by blood, but to everyone with whom we have been united in Christ. Our family church and our church family are to be households marked by the Gospels, exuding the love of Jesus Christ and bearing the kingdom of God to the world. This is our baptismal vocation. And this is what it looks like to follow Christ's example. But I know that this isn't easy. Remember, at our baptism, we walk in the exact footsteps of Christ. We follow Christ to the cross. We suffer with him. We die with him. We descend into hell with him. And we are raised to new life in him. And although we are constantly recalled to our baptism to remember what those steps mean, we struggle throughout our lives to conform ourselves to Christ's path and follow his extraordinary way. Our struggle doesn't make this calling any less extraordinary, however. In fact, it is perhaps because of this struggle that this calling becomes so extraordinary. The writer of 1 Peter knew that we would struggle. He knew that our struggle would be both an internal one and one that was also external. When the epistle writers exhorted households to live differently from others, they knew it wasn't going to be easy. The visible differences that marked households as Christians also made them marks for persecution. In a time when Caesar declared himself to be Lord and Savior, to proclaim that Jesus Christ was not only your Lord and Savior and the only Lord and Savior, but that he had more power than the emperor could ever hope to have, was not just radical, it was downright dangerous. Today, there are Christians in pockets of this world who have felt consequences like those that reverberated throughout the early church. For those of us here in Northern Virginia, it's not dangerous to live as a Christian household. It can, however, mark us as different. And in a world of online bullying, mommy wars, and, and a constant feeling of comparison, being marked as different can be hard. It can feel isolating, and it can feel frustrating, and it can make us question whether all of this Jesus following is actually worth it. Just like the Roman households of the early church, here in Northern Virginia, we are constantly faced with decisions that make us choose between following Jesus and being successful. Our jobs, our children's schools, our volunteer activities, our hobbies, our kids' sports teams, all of these things require so much of our energy and so much of our time. On any given Sunday, we, we might skip church to run a marathon or take our kiddo to a soccer game. How many of you have ever skipped church on a Sunday for a football game? Me, I'm guilty as charged. 
When we sit down to dinner, our child's tantrum at the thought of even waiting a split second for a meal, we just know they're going to refuse to eat because everything on that plate is gross, mom, despite the fact that they ate it yesterday, might prevent us from insisting that we say grace. Sometimes a whole week of deadlines and, and meetings leaves us feeling less than inclined to show up for our small group meeting. And, and the dread of hearing the alarm on Monday morning might mean we turn off the alarm on Sunday morning. And more times than I can count on my drive into D.C. to seminary, no less. Somebody cutting me off in traffic has made me forget that they too are the image of God. And there are those days, maybe even those seasons, when you look around at other families and it seems like they have everything together. Their two-year-old isn't feral and is probably already potty trained while your child is lifting up her dress and pulling off her diaper and, and wrecking havoc in the nursery room. Their kids actually seem like they want to be in church. Everyone is dressed nicely as if they, they didn't pull today's clothes out of the laundry bin that's overflowing because you're behind on laundry. You're behind on the dishes. You're behind on homeschooling. Or maybe for you it isn't kids. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your divorce. Or maybe it's your singleness. Right now, no matter how you figure it, you just feel behind like you're not measuring up. And in that moment, as you sit mindlessly scrolling on Facebook, comparing yourself to all of the photos of all of the perfect people you think you see, you just decide that it's it's not worth it to be different. If you can't reach that perfection right now, what is even the point? And here, friends, is the good news. After those first perfect steps with Christ at our baptism, we will always struggle to conform ourselves to the light of that perfection. It will always be a struggle because life is a struggle. The epistle writers knew that. The struggle that they knew is different from the struggle that you know, but that doesn't change the fact that a life lived in the light of God is still filled with struggle. As we stray like sheep from the path of our shepherd, God calls us back to that baptismal font, reminding us time and time again that God's way is a way of radical love that claims our whole lives for all of our lives. And as we remember our call to baptism and listen to God's call to return to our shepherd, the guardian of our souls never gives up on us. God never gives up on us, always hoping that we will find a way back to Christ's footsteps to follow Christ's example. Our baptismal call is the foundation on which we build our lives, not just our religious lives, but our entire lives, so that we live lives that are marked by the gospel, exuding the love of Jesus Christ and bearing the kingdom of God to all of the world. This 
is our extraordinary calling that is seated in the reality of the resurrection and given to us at the moment of our baptism. So that baptized in Christ, we die with Christ. And as Christ is risen, we too are raised and are called by name as God's own new creation to God. Amen.